Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. More than six months into the coronavirus pandemic, and much of the country is waiting for the same lifeline. The race is on to find a coronavirus vaccine. Now, some of the nation's leading biotech companies report fast-track progress in developing vaccines and treatments. We hope, um, if everything goes to plan, that we could have a vaccine by early next year or even by the end of this year. 150 different coronavirus vaccines are in development around the world, although fewer than a dozen have reached phase three of trials. In May, the U.S. government launched Operation Warp Speed, pledging $10 billion to help drug companies get a vaccine in record time. But as the trials continue, some lack trust in the process. New York and California say their states will set up independent panels of experts to review the vaccine before recommending it to their citizens. People have to feel that it's safe. Here's New York Governor Andrew Cuomo earlier this week. And we're putting together our own group to determine once the FDA says it's safe, we'll have a New York group of uh, doctors and some of the best doctors around the world who will review what FDA did. So I'll be able to say to New Yorkers, it is safe. And the National Medical Association, the country's oldest organization for black physicians, say they will conduct their own independent review of the vaccine. Their approval could be crucial for the black community, which has been disproportionately affected by the virus. Just 32% of black Americans say they'd get a vaccine if one were available today, according to the Pew Research Center, compared to about one half of white people. As trusted messengers, how can we convince blacks that when the vaccine comes out, that it's safe and they should take it? I'm Tremaine Lee, and this is Into America. Today, why there's distrust around the safety of the coronavirus vaccine and what some black physicians are doing to change that. The idea to create an independent black physician-led task force to vet possible coronavirus vaccines came from Dr. Rodney Hood. Dr. Hood has practiced internal medicine in San Diego, California for nearly 50 years. When I was small, I really had no uh, mentors to kind of show me that I wanted to be a doctor. I just would always tell somebody, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to, I know I'm going to do it well. In 1973, he was the first black student to graduate from the University of California, San Diego Medical School. And even before graduating, Dr. Hood decided to dedicate his career to addressing health disparities and racism in medicine. That was one of my goals from the beginning. I'm from an underserved area of Boston called Roxbury, where I was born and raised. So even during all my uh, training, I did a uh, research project during my medical school on uh, sickle cell. I guess the whole issue was we always heard how blacks had more diseases than anybody else. And a lot of folks attributed it to 
well, they must have something in their genes. And uh, sickle cell really had no good treatment and no good approach. So my uh, project forced me to engage with the community, especially the African-American community with uh, sickle cell. Dr. Hood went on to open his own practice in San Diego, where 45 years later, he still serves many black patients. But he has always continued the bigger fight for health equity, including time served as president of the National Medical Association. The uh, National Medical Association is an organization of African-American physicians, and it was formed in 1895. And the reason why it was formed was that uh, African-American physicians were not allowed to join the major medical organization of the American Medical Association. The organization has uh, thrived since then, and it really wasn't until the late 50s, early uh, 60s that the American Medical Association began to allow Blacks to join. However, the National Medical Association has always seen itself as kind of like the conscience of medicine. I think in the 1960s, everybody talks about civil rights, but part of their civil rights was a whole lot of health rights. Part of the uh, civil rights legislation was the Medicare and Medicaid in the 60s, and the National Medical Association was the only professional organization that supported Medicaid and Medicare. The AMA and others saw that as too socialized. It actually led Johnson to come to the National Medical Association meeting for the first time when we met in uh, Texas. With, with that history, I can only imagine right now in this moment, as Black folks are dealing a, a disproportionate blow from COVID-19, uh, that the NMA has found itself once again pushing and pushing for, for the Black community. So absolutely. Um, it was no surprise to me or most of us in the NMA that when COVID hit, that African-Americans were going to have some of the worst outcomes. I mean, that that was a predictable. I've uh, done a lot of historic research on why African-Americans have higher uh, disease rates. There's a book that I consider it the Bible in documenting that history. Uh, Dr. Michael Berg and Linda Clayton, who at that time were two uh, professors of public health at Harvard, they wrote a, a two-volume book uh, called An American Health dilemma. They coined the term slave health deficit. And what they mean by that is they documented the deficits that we talk about today, cardiovascular disease, cancer, you name it, higher in blacks, dates all the way back to slavery, post-slavery through a Jim Crow. So without much of a real leap, we can kind of connect the deficits born from enslavement to those uh, pre-existing conditions that have made our community more vulnerable to COVID-19? Am I reading that right? So absolutely. Um, There's a direct correlation, not only historically, but uh, data-wise, where evidence uh, shows the lowest life expectancy of any ethnic uh, group is in African-Americans, with African-American male having the lowest life expectancy compared to whites, Hispanics, Asians. at one point in time, when you list all the chronic diseases that uh, that we have, list the top 15 African-Americans led in 13 of the 15 cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, asthma, trauma. And so the question was always why? And I, I believe many in the health field, sometimes even at the NIH, were looking for the Negro gene. <laughs> they were looking for some type of 
uh, uh, genetic ab aberration because they used to actually teach that the reason why blacks had such poor health wasn't because of the social conditions, it was because they were inferior. I guess what surprised me is everybody kept asking, why are blacks having higher rates of COVID? And, you know, it's the comorbidity and the uh, structural racism that exists in the health system. And I was asked to write an article in a local paper about why blacks had more uh, problems with COVID and death than COVID. And after that article, a lot of my colleagues called me up and said, what can we do? Um, but as you know, there's a lot of mistrust in the black community around vaccines. So we were trying to put together a strategy to say, as trusted messengers, as black physicians, how can we convince blacks that when the vaccine comes out, that it's safe and they should take it? Well, then we start getting inappropriate recommendations from the agencies that are supposed to uh, be the gold standard as far as recommendations, FDA and CDC. And it became clear to me and others that was really confusing the issue. They have this warp speed, terrible name <laughs> for uh, coming out with a new uh, vaccine. And they uh, seem to be pushing it out regardless of the uh, safety of protocol. I must say up until recently, I had pretty good trust in the FDA and CDC. I mean, maybe a little bit less than others and cautious, but with the current atmosphere, it became clear we couldn't trust that. And after a few of my patients said, Doc, I know you've been talking about this vaccine, but if they come out in August or November, you're going to take it? I had to honestly said, no, I, 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 it, it sounds like it's coming out too soon. Are you saying that as a black man with the history we have or as a black physician? Both. So that's when I came up with the idea, you know, we need to have a group of black physicians or members of the NMA that we can bring together to give independent advice. How important is it to, to have any vaccine that comes out be independently vetted? And, and also, like, what does that vetting process look like? How will it work? So we're in the process of kind of uh, working that out now. How I see it working is waiting to see what vaccines become available and what the recommendation is. So if a vaccine comes out later on this year or early next year, the question to, to this uh, group is the FDA and the pharmaceutical industry says it's safe. We're being asked to look at the data independently and give their opinion. So hopefully it will be the same as the recommended government agencies, but awareness and saying we need a backup in case there's some uh, discrepancies. Which vaccines are you paying attention to? To be honest, the ones that have been backed by the government that they put up uh, funding, the Pfizer, the AstraZeneca, the Moderna, those are the ones we're kind of uh, looking at, but we're also trying to get information on the others. I think the issue is one is going to be recommended for distribution in this country, and we're not really sure which one that will be. When these vaccines roll out and the NMA task force starts to vet these vaccines, what would be like red flags? What would get the like quick not approved? So I'm not an infectious disease expert. And to be honest, I'm going to be relying on their recommendations and uh, insight. But 
The question is, has the vaccine been tested in the communities that were recommending they be given in? So that would be one. Was it actually adequate uh, testing? Uh, Do they have equitable uh, inclusion of minorities in that uh, study? What is the safety and efficacy uh, protocol? Um, I mean, it's out there and is it effective 50% of the time, 30% of the time? So all of these factors will be taken into uh, consideration. You know, one of the things for uh, 20 years, our organization has been involved in is trying to get more Blacks involved in uh, clinical trials. Because, uh, as you know, many clinical trials have come out on the market with very few minorities in it. And sometimes there are differences in how uh, minorities respond to different things. So we've been uh, pushing to have more Blacks and minorities in clinical trials. Well, the current situation has compounded that problem with the uh, fact that there are now clinical trials they are trying to get more minorities to uh, sign up in. And yet, with the confusing messaging coming from the government, it's making it difficult for us to uh, recruit folks into those trials. Do we have any sense of the makeup so far? So I know about three, four weeks ago, many of the trials, they had not met their goal of having the African-American and Hispanic input that they needed. I'm in San Diego. My alma mater is UCSD, and they have two clinical trials. One is the AstraZeneca and the Moderna trial. And about a month ago, neither of those trials had um, the adequate number of African-Americans, Hispanics in it at that time. That may have changed, but uh, they were having problems enrolling uh, a diverse population. Is, is it in like the actual recruitment of black folks or is it that they just haven't made it a priority? Oh, no, I think they're actually trying. They've actually been reaching out to us. We had several uh, conference calls with them and they're trying to recruit us. They're actually going down into the communities themselves recruiting. So uh, to their credit, I think they're actually trying. I think the difficulty is that already was a low level of trust and with the confusion taking place and trust issues taking place, it's making it more difficult. We have to take a break. When we return, the history behind why so many black Americans don't trust the medical system. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. We're back with Dr. Rodney Hood. You know, Tuskegee, 
with the, the syphilis experiments, which is kind of just the tip of the iceberg, and that there have been a whole series of unethical medical situations that have affected black folks. But I wonder, being a doctor of a certain age, when you were coming up, was this something that was talked about? Was there like this general mistrust kind of inherited from generation by generation? You know, I grew up in uh, Boston, and of course, I think most blacks hear about Tuskegee and syphilis. And actually, when I grew up, you just thought that, well, that was the only experiment that they did. A reminder on this especially dark stain on American medical history. Starting in the 1930s, the U.S. government carried out an experiment called the, quote, Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the Negro Male. Hundreds of black sharecroppers in Tuskegee, Alabama, some of whom had syphilis and some who didn't, were told they were participating in a study about bad blood and that they would receive free medical services. The men were never told they had syphilis and never gave what's known today as informed consent to participate in the study. When penicillin became the recommended treatment in the 1940s, the government didn't tell them about it and didn't administer it. The study, which was originally projected to last six months, didn't end until 1972, only after someone leaked it to the press. Over the course of those four decades, at least 28 men died from syphilis, 100 more from related complications, 40 women contracted the disease, and 19 children were born with congenital syphilis. The U.S. government didn't apologize until 1997. be honest, it really wasn't until I got into medicine myself and I started researching this myself and I found that it wasn't just what happened with the Tuskegee experiment. There were multiple experiments they would do on prisoners, many of whom were Black. There were multiple experimentations they would do actually in the uh, Army, in the services around Blacks and Black towns. I used to hear about what they call Mississippi hysterectomies. You know, a lot of my patients are black, elderly uh, females, and they'd come in, uh, how many children do you have? I don't have any, or I only had one. You know, and they would say, although I wanted more, they removed my womb. And many times they were uh, tell me they, they didn't know their womb was going to be removed, but they were told that it needed to be removed. Well, there were some studies showing that not just in Mississippi, throughout the country, and especially down south, White physicians would commonly maybe uh, deliver a baby and determine that this person doesn't need to have any more children, and they'd do a uh, hysterectomy on them. So there's a lot of distrust. As a matter of fact, part of the HIPAA and part of the consent that we now have comes from not only uh, Tuskegee, but those types of things they did to Blacks with Mississippi hysterectomies, et cetera, to the point where they developed protocols and say, well, no, you need to get consent and formal consent. So the mistrust has been around for decades and, and in many ways. As you know, we get treated differently in, in our healthcare system, have always been treated differently. When I went to medical school a long time ago, they taught Blacks don't get heart attacks. When they came in with a chest pain, they attributed to uh, something else. And uh, yeah, there have been multiple pain studies stating that when a Black presents with pain, whether broken bones or whatnot, they tend to get less pain medication than others. 
And uh, this has been proven time and time again. So yes, there's a lot of built-in misconceptions in our uh, society that it ties into the whole race. And, and given all of that, it, it's such a hard sell to say, come on, just sign up for this thing. We're going to inject you with something. Hopefully it works. But if you had to you know, speak to our communities, the black community, and tell them why it's so essential that they take part in these trials, what would you say? I think it's uh, critical because for years we've been saying we haven't been included in these trials because they're coming out with new medications all the time. And sometimes they uh, find out that the dose may be different for African-Americans than uh, non-African-Americans. So I, I think it's critical that we're involved so that when they start giving it to us, we can have some assurances how it's going to act in our uh, population. To be honest, I'm actually looking at one trial that uh, I may want to sign up with myself. Let me tell you, I think as far as trust, I think you're better off if you're actually in a trial because many patients don't have insurance. If you're in a trial and something happens, you're covered. There's a lot of monitoring of the folks who are in the trial. Your blood is being checked on a regular basis. So I feel that uh, we should advocate for blacks and browns to actually join these trials. The concern is, is that if this trial comes out and it hasn't been adequately uh, tested, then although they're saying it's safe, would they be doing what they're doing in Russia, where they had a vaccine, they came out and said, well, we're going to start distributing it but they really hadn't gone through the safety and efficacy and enrolled the number of folks. If that happens, then what you'll have is black folks being the guinea pigs again <laughs> for a uh, trial that didn't have the adequate number of uh, folks in it. So I think signing up with these trials is something we should do. I think it's important that we do so that when the vaccine does come out, we won't have that question. But so much so that you said you're willing to maybe consider enrolling in a trial yourself? I am. There's two trials here in San Diego. One is the AstraZeneca and one is the Moderna. I just turned 75. So some trials have an age limit. Um, Mm. But I got hypertension. I'm at high risk. I'm not sure I would qualify for the trial. But I would be willing myself to uh, sign up for one of the trials where I come from. That's one way to make a statement. When we talk about these various gaps in vaccinations, especially like the trials for the coronavirus vaccine, do we see uh, other gaps in vaccinations like like the flu vaccine? So one of the first things the NMA COVID task force did was vote to support two documents. One was a call to action about flu vaccine in COVID. The flu season is coming. As you know, the flu kills as well. About 30 to 40,000 folks die from complications of the flu in this country each year. And uh, some of the lowest uh, flu vaccination rates have been in African-American community. So we're really concerned and advocating for early flu vaccination. We think that's going to be a critical, especially during the uh, fall, whether there's a vaccine or not. The other thing we recommended was a letter with uh, support from our task force and others sent to the head of the FDA and head of the uh, CDC, encouraging them to be uh, judicious and making sure that when a vaccine is uh, recommended, 
that can have equitable distribution so that the high-risk populations have access to the vaccine and that that vaccine not be approved until they can assure that it's safe. So we have not given up on the scientists at the CDC and FDA. We're encouraging them to resist any uh, political pressure to do something that's not uh, scientific. But at the uh, same time, we have our independent scientists ready to look at the data themselves and make independent recommendations. Dr. Hood, what's at stake here? You know, if, if a COVID-19 vaccine proves to be, you know, ineffective or unsafe for Black people, what are we, what are we dealing with here? What's, what's the big picture concern? First of all, the COVID virus isn't going away, okay? It's not going away overnight. Hmm. So I think we need to be patient until we find what we do need. And my caution is we shouldn't just jump on the first vaccine, okay? If the first vaccine comes out and there's some concerns with that, there are other vaccines that are coming that I believe ultimately will be able to identify a vaccine and other therapeutic modalities that would uh, help us get through this. So what I'm pushing is patience, I don't like the term WAP speed, and we understand there's a lot of financial concerns. We as Black folks want to get back to work. We want to get back to normal. We want to get back to our jobs. We want to come out to restaurants. So I'm optimistic that long-term we'll get there. It's just that should that be excessive deaths in Black communities in order to get there or not? And we're trying to minimize that. Dr. Rodney Hood, when I see your name, I can't help but think about Robin Hood. And it sounds like you're definitely doing good work. So (laughs) thank you, sir. Uh, So I'll tell my wife you mentioned her because her name is Robin. There we go. See, (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you very much, Jermaine. I appreciate the opportunity. Dr. Rodney Hood is an internal medicine physician in San Diego and a member of the National Medical Association's Coronavirus Vaccine Review Task Force. Into America is produced by Isabel Angel, Allison Bailey, Aaron Dalton, Max Jacobs, Barbara Rabb, Claire Tai, Aisha Turner, and Preeti Varathan. Original music by Hannes Brown. Our executive producer is Ellen Frankman. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of audio. I'm Tremaine Lee, and we'll be back on Monday. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.